I want to take a moment to recognize one of our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. At The Real Asset Investor, Dave and his team bring their investors high-yield investment opportunities across several asset classes for cash flow, tax impact, and equity growth. He and his team are one of the top five ATM operators in the country, and they have an investment opportunity available to accredited investors right now in the ATM space. To learn more about their ATM funds that produce tax-free cash flow, visit therealassetinvestor.com. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Cashflow Ninja podcast and spending your most valuable resource, your time once again with me. Everything Cashflow Ninja is at CashflowNinja.com. It is the center of the Cashflow Ninja universe. There are more than 850 podcast episodes, tools, resources, programs. And of course, you could grab a copy of my book, The 21 Best Cashflow Niches. It's at CashflowNinja.com or on Amazon.com. When you do grab a copy, screenshot a proof of your purchase, send it to my team at info at CashflowNinja.com, and we will give you access to a digital version if you want to read it on Kindle. Audio version, if you would rather listen to it while driving in your car or working out or relaxing, a curated library of ninjas discussing the niches in the book so you don't have to listen to 850 episodes and more bonus goodies. And if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, we're getting rave reviews from a lot of folks about our newsletter. Go to cashflowninja.com forward slash subscribe. I've got a fantastic guest for you, a friend of mine, Dave Zook um, from The Real Asset Investor. He's been on the show a number of times. Um, every single time I spend some time with Dave, I learn something. So if this is your first rodeo, uh, listening to Dave Zook and, and listening to some of the uh, knowledge and strategies that he's about to share, and you want more, go to cashflowandengine.com, type in Dave Zook. There's, a, there's quite a number of episodes over the past six years that I've done with Dave, and they are gold, and they're also featured. A lot of his niches that he invests in is featured in the book, and there's also some of his inter interviews as part of our bonus package. With that said, Dave, it's great to see you, my friend. MC, how are you? It's nice to have be back on your show. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. Now, for folks not familiar with who you are and what you do, can you please share a little bit about your background and just what you get involved with these days? Yeah, so I was, um, fortunately, I was part of a uh, family growing up that was very entrepreneurial and business friendly. My dad actually bought the family business the year I was born. So I grew up in the modular building business and I watched my dad, who's a very successful business owner. I watched him invest his money into uh, real estate, primarily farms and land. And he bought some single family homes and I watched him self-manage those single family homes. And I just decided early on that I was never going to do that. I was never going to be a real estate investor. I had seen enough. That was not going to be me. But um Years later, a couple of years later, after building several 
successful businesses and getting myself in a position where some of those businesses were doing really well. I got my, I got a tax bill, got a tax bill and ended up being around a half a million bucks uh, more than a decade ago. And I just, I just, you know, I was having all kinds of fun building those businesses. I was working most of all daylight hours and, and many hours of non-daylight time. But, um, you know, when I had to give half my money back to the government, it was, just wasn't so much fun anymore. So I went down this path. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I, I saw him, you know, I, I heard him making a statement of how you can make millions of dollars a year and pay no tax illegally. It drove me crazy. So I had to go meet the guy. I hunted him down and um, got with him and his team. And I soon realized that they were using real estate, not only as a vehicle to build uh, streams of income and equity appreciation, all that, but it was a tax protection vehicle. So once I found, once I figured that out, I had to, I knew I had to invest in real estate. So I went from not wanting any real estate at all to wanting as much as I get my, as I could get my hands on. So that's sort of my entry into the real estate game is, you know, I entered on the, from the tax side. Which it plays a lot into your philosophy, right? And by the way, one of your, your famous quotes, which I also featured in the book is, you can uh, be conventional or wealthy, pick one, um, which is fa- just fantastic. And it plays into your investment philosophy. So you came in, at, you needed to solve a tax problem. And then you started to see the alternative investments such as real estate and all of the other many very interesting things that you're involved with. Uh, could you talk a little bit about your uh, overall investment philosophy and your approach uh, to, to building wealth? Yeah, so conventional, you know, in going along with that quote, when I think about conventional, I think, okay, what is conventional? Conventional to me means that the masses are doing it. If you see something that the masses are doing it, you know, that that's conventional. So when I think about, okay, if I see the masses doing a, you know, doing something, whether it's, you know, on what they eat on what they consume, either, you know, and, and when I say consume, it could be food or literature, you yep. know, and, and what are they doing? I, I asked myself the question, okay, what else is there? Because if the, if the masses are doing it, that's probably not what you and I want to be doing. And so I look at investing like that, you know, I was, you know, it, it's interesting when you uh, are somewhat removed from that kind of thinking like you and I are, and then you get put back in that room. I I, I was just at a, uh, just recently in the last few days, I was at a conventional sort of wealth management thing like that. And I and I did it out of, I knew somebody else who was going to be in the room. And I sort of, it was, it was sort of a relationship play. But it was just like a reminder again. I was just like, oh my goodness, these, these people actually do this stuff. And uh, so, it, you know, conventional is, is what the masses are not doing. Or, or uh, sorry, conventional is what the masses are doing and not what you and I and your listeners want to be doing. You know, you make a great point. It's almost like in, in all parts of our life, if you do the complete opposite of what 99% of people are doing, the probability of and the likelihood of success, whether it's your health and relationships, whether it's 
you know, w- with your family, whether it's in your business or whether it is, you know, in your investments, it, it's it's quite incredible to to see how much the probability and the likelihood would be much higher at achieving success than what you would do following the the ninety nine percent of 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 what people are doing out there, right? Absolutely, and I and I would and I would guess that people listening to this show have no interest in that, or you know, if they if they if they're putting in the the time and and consuming this kind of stuff, the kind of stuff that you're putting out there, I, I think we're talking to the right people here. Yeah. So an example would be here's one of the things: staying on the tax from a tax angle, because you came into this this world by trying to solve a tax issue is the first, you know, like, here's one of the conventional things, deferring taxes, you know, especially with 401ks and IRAs and that kind of stuff, where if you look then at, okay, what is the 1% doing? Well, number one, they're trying to figure out how to legally pay as little taxes as possible. And there's a lot of ways to do that. It all leads to providing more value to the marketplace. Guess what? You pay less in taxes, almost nothing legally. Um, and then also buying taxes now and controlling taxes versus the conventional, I'll just max out my 401k. I'll just max out my IRA. I get a write-off now, Dave. I get a write-off. I get to write that off my taxes now. Deferring at 20 to 25 to 30 years. I mean, if you look at the the monetary and the fiscal policies, <laughs> let's pick your country. We're in the United States. It's almost insane to want to do that, right? Deferring taxes, which would be taxed at future tax rates, not even established 10, 15, 20, and 25 years from now. Yeah, and and you know, that's another that's another sort of area of conventional wisdom. What is conventional wisdom? Conventional wisdom tells you that if you make a lot of money, you got to pay a lot of tax, right? And one of the quotes that changed my life was, uh, I know Tom Wheelwright's been on your show. One of, the, one of the quotes that changed my life was when he said, if you want to change your tax, you got to change your facts. And it was the first time in my life I realized that, okay, I'm getting taxed because of the way I'm doing business, because of the way I'm investing. And it, it, was, it was the first time in my life where I actually realized that my tax destiny was in my own control and not in the control of, you know, legislation, Congress, Democrats, Republicans. You know, I would, once I realized that it was that it was up to me, everything changed. You know, I, I realized I was in control of my own destiny. So that was that was also one of the quotes that changed my life was if you want to change your tax, you got to change your facts. And that ties into um, all the many different asset classes that you've invested in, right? You uh, have brought that philosophy of how do I structure this from a tax efficiency as efficient as possible within my strategy? How do I structure this as efficient for cash flow and then also an appreciation play? So you get sort of the trifecta where most folks just try to buy things, hold on to them forever and hope they go up to value and then get clobbered with the taxes, which they've deferred inside of this, ve- this the vehicle that it's in for the majority of folks, to, you know, 15, 20 to 25 years from now, you're looking at how do I invest in niches, tax efficient as possible, cash flow efficient, 
and have a great uh, appreciation play, right? Yeah, you know, I, I people have asked me already, and this is going to sound selfish, but people people have asked me about, you know, how do I go about going out to the marketplace and finding these different asset classes for my investors to invest in? And and I always tell them, it, you know, it it really it starts with me. I'm doing this stuff for myself. I'm controlling my tax liability by investing in these certain different asset classes, some of which, you know, knock down the tax liability on your ordinary income. Some of them, you know, 100% bonus depreciation. They'll knock down the tax liability on your passive income. It'll, it'll wipe out, the, you know, if you if you sell your business, your practice, or if you sell a, an apartment building that you own, some other investment, it'll knock down the tax liability on that capital gains. So there's, all, so there's different asset classes that will do different things. And so I'm doing this stuff for myself. And then when I find an asset class that I love, and an operator that's top shelf, that's just first class, one of the best in the in the industry. I I just bring it to my investor group and I share it. Yeah, that that was one of the things that I've learned from you over boy, time flies. The six years that I've known you too, um, and you have the ability and the knack to immerse yourself in a specific asset clause, learn everything that you need to know to be really really confident. And then you go find that cash flow, cash flow ninja in that space. And then you eventually invest with them. And once you've achieved then success and have seen the fruits of it, you bring it to your group. How do you find, what are, what are some of the, the, the things that you do to find these cash flow ninjas in these specific niches? So you're, you're familiar with this. Uh, you know, this, this community that we're in, this, this non-conventional uh, community of investors that we're in it's it's a pretty small space yep and and um so one of the big shortcuts is having conversations within our community and once you start hearing a name of an operator get floated around and and you start hearing that name over and over and and, and i'm i'm always much more interested in hearing what investors are saying about an operator than I'm than I am in hearing the operator talk about the operator. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I'm much more con- I'm much more interested in what that investor is saying. And once you hear, once you start hearing all kinds of good things, like man, I've been I've invested with this group for the last ten years, and 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 we've been making you know we've been doing very well in this certain asset class. After a while, it's just like wait a minute, I got I got to hunt these guys down. I gotta I gotta get with these guys. I, I want to be a part of whatever they're doing. And, and you know, first you you know you you got to believe in the asset class. You got, you you know it's got to fit your philosophy and make sure that it does some of those things that we're talking about. Whether it's you know building long term appreciation, knocking down knocking down your tax liability, whatever that is. And if and if that's a fit, once you have that nailed down, that's a fit, and you start hearing a lot about the operator within that asset class, then it becomes hey, let's have a conversation. I'll give you a, I'll give you a um, sort of an example. Um, I started hearing about this operator in the self-storage space a number of years ago. I think it was 2017, 2018. And and finally, it was like, I got to get with these guys. And self-storage had been sort of on my radar for a long time. And I just didn't ha- really have a good entry point and didn't really know who to go to and who who the best players were in the space. 
And so I, w- I already knew I liked the asset class. But when I started hearing all kinds of good things about this group, at some point, I just said, look, I, 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 need, to, I need an introduction. I, you know, I got with them, met with the team, brought them up here to Lancaster and ran them you know, through this whole process. I, I've got a good friend in the, in the self-storage space in Lancaster who's kind of the, the king of self-storage up here. And, and I took him to his office and we interrogated him, ended up doing a deal together. We just sold over the last over the last four years. We've we've been building up our portfolio of self storage facilities, and we just sold 26 of those properties now to REIT out of Chicago. It was a 450 million dollar deal. Ended up netting our investors a 30 some percent annualized return. And so you know when you when you get with the right team in an asset class that that is known to deliver and perform very well. You're, you you just you just up your chances of winning by a, a multiple X. Yeah, and I have to say one of my uh, fond memories of all the the stuff that we've done is taking a trip down to Fairfield, Texas, with you. So um, there's um, a carbon investment which is very unique. Um, it was something that I was fascinated with, and I am full disclosure, I am an investor in that for several years. Um, and have invested in different of those funds. But I went down there to Fairfield, Texas with with Dave um, and other investors. And it was just great to see your due diligence process too, taking everybody through the the due diligence process Um, and eventually, you know, touring the sites, you know, meeting the operators, meeting the folks that that's working within the business, which is very important too. Um, It was a great, great trip and uh, in a very unique space right um so that's that 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 was one area that uh, that you've also been very very interested in and have had a lot of success in the in the carbon space yeah and and one of the things that um we like about that space again it's a it's a very cash flow centric business but it's also very tax efficient and and one of the things you know we did a lot of work on the front end to make it tax efficient and make it work for our um, high paid professionals, our, our W2 guys, our guys with a bunch of ordinary income. You know, we did a lot of work on the front end to make it to where you could take this asset class and, and get a hundred percent bonus depreciation that wipes out the tax liability on ordinary income. And so when, when, you know, a lot of work went in the front end, but now it's, you know, you, you've got the system down pat and you only got to do it one time. Now it's scalable. And we've saved millions of dollars on um, taxes to offset tax liability on ordinary income. But it's it's really taken a, a very uh, much available commodity, coal, and taking it and, and harvesting it responsibly, running it, running it through a process where we get um, uh, pharmaceutical grade oil and liquids out of the coal and selling it under contract to a household name that everybody on this call would recognize. And uh, But really getting creative with the asset class and being able to tweak it to the way that it worked well for us, um, it's just been a lot of fun. Yeah. And I have to say, um, that due diligence trip that we did and all the conversations that we had and looking at the deal structure, 
I mean, it was a fascinating experience. Everybody that was there too, they, they loved it. But it also gave you an insight of how many different angles there are that real pros and cashflow ninjas such as Dave looks at. You know, there, um, for example, you know, here's what I'm talking about. Sometimes I've got these ideas in my head and I just have to figure out the best way to, to structure it. But again, most folks, oh, I'll just buy, invest in something or buy something and hope it goes up. Well, here's an asset class, energy, for example. Everybody knows oil and gas and coal and so forth with great tax benefits if it's structured correctly, but there's risk involved, right? And besides to get into the, the whole oil and gas thing now, whether it be exploratory or they found a well and you know there's now a different play and a different company comes in and a different company comes in after that, there's a lot of risk involved. So professional investors look at how do I minimize the risk? on the front end of this, um, because I love the asset clause. I want to be in that asset clause. It's got great, obviously, tax benefits, because as people have found out, we sort of need energy in the world, <laughs> and we need folks investing in energy. And as folks are about to find out, you need a lot of folks investing in energy. So there's great, there's great tax benefits to it. And of course, then there's uh, the business operation side of it, the cash flow and so forth. But it's the, it, I mean, there's so much involved to to unpack from a to be a a professional investor, you know, and that's what the one percent do, and that's what I learned a lot on that on that trip too. Is how do I how do I I want that I want to be in that space. I love that space, but how do I do it in a way where I limit the downside for myself and investors, and how do I capitalize on all the other things then? And then it comes into okay, how do I structure a deal like that? It was fascinating to learn from and uh, from you um, on the on the fly and just going down there and, and and seeing all of that and being part of that that conversations. Yeah, well, and and one of the things that we've done and we've done in, in you know quite a few of our funds to de-risk or take it you know put investors in a position where they're taking as little risk as possible. One of the things that we've done is we've, we've waived. We basically, there are no fees on our side. You, you, the investor gets paid first. And if the deal does really well, then we get paid on the back end, but the investor gets paid first. So there, so there's no, you know, fees on the front end, you know, we're, we're actually upside down until the investors, you know, make and perform us. So, you know, that, that's one of the, things that that you can you know reduce risk there's risk in every in every investment that you make um you know but then being able to having a fixed price contract with a multinational uh buyer you know it was interesting when i was getting you know when we we're going through the whole thing uh, whatever it was last year when oil went negative by, you know, 30, 40 bucks a barrel, you know, I started getting these calls like, hey, uh, what's, what's, what, are we okay down in Texas? Are we, you know, are we good? And, and, you know, we were getting $162.50 a barrel for our pharmaceutical grade oil that was under contract right through all of that. So when you're talking about, you know, reducing risk, you know, by having some of those contracts in place with a reputable buyer, 
Um, it, you know, in a niche product, this isn't a commodity that gets swung, you know, all over the place with a, you know, by, you know, that spot price that's going on right then. So that's another way we've, we've learned to reduce risk and it's just worked very well for us. You've also been an investor in the, um, in the crypto and the blockchain space. And what I appreciate, appreciate about it too, is I've shared the California gold rush kind of strategy where you invest in ancillary businesses in that space as an investor. So you don't have to buy a doggy coin and hope it moons like all of the moon boys and girls out there um, and go on social media, sharing that with folks. You're actually an investor investing in companies and projects in the space. What are some of your, uh, you know, just some of your, your comments on that space. It's, it's pretty exciting. And I know you've participated as an investor in that space too. I'm very bullish in this space, and I and I won't, uh, you know, for one minute try to convince you that I'm, you know, techie and I understand everything that's going on under the hood. But what I did do, and this is, you know, a, kind of my style, is I like to find the best operator in the space. I teamed up with Off the Chain Capital. Yep. Off the Chain Capital is is one of the best performing uh, funds in the world, and um, we just had. A lot of fun where we, you know, buy mispriced, underpriced uh, digital assets, you know, and, and and oftentimes we'll buy those uh, positions on the non-liquid market. We'll, you know, these these are not publicly traded stocks yet, and so we'll we'll buy private shares of a company that has a clear path to liquidity. Oftentimes they're, you know. They're 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 going to be uh, publicly traded, or they're going to be launching an IPO, and you know within a year or so. And that's just been a lot of fun seeing this team work. And so what happened uh, to me? I, I I was an investor. Um, I had been in. I was an investor for about all but two years. And you know the minimum investment to get into this fund. This is a this is a kind of an institutional grade fund. The minimum investment was a million dollars. Yep. And so that's kind of a hurdle for a lot of folks. So what I did is I was I put a fund together that that aggregates the capital, and we come in. Investors can invest as little as a hundred thousand dollars and invest in our fund, and we then invest solely in off the chain capital. And that's that's been a, a lot of fun watching them build out the team, watching them build positions, watching them build positions in private companies, and then see those companies go public. That's when you really get a lot of, as you know, there's a lot of margin there. Yeah. In fact, so much so that I would say, if your listeners would be aware of the of the amount of margin and the amount of profit that gets taken before the stock goes public, it, it kind of reduces your appetite or eliminates your appetite to buy shares on the public exchanges. It sure does. I went one of those through those um, uh, last year with also an, an investment in a, a pre-IPO of a company several years ago. And I had the exact same uh, kind of conclusion. I'm like, why would you ever, ever buy a stock ever again? Unless you're trying That's where the real, that's where the real money is made. The, the real front. money is made before the stock gets yeah, listed, you know? Yeah. It's a vehicle where the insiders basically sell to the general public. 
the 1% sells to the 99% essentially. So, um, yeah, yeah. So I had the exact same conclusion. I'm like, why would you ever buy a stock ever again, ever on a stock, you know, if you could do it, but, uh, and, and, and utilize it in that strategy. One of the other assets that, that you have been absolutely crushing and a lot of folks know you for is the ATM space. Um, now for listeners, this is the first time you're hearing about it again, go to cashloaninja.com, type in Dave Zook. We've talked about this and we've really done deep dives. And I've also featured it in the book as one of the niches. Very, very interesting. Um, very interesting space. What is going on in the empty ATM space? Uh, and what, what can you share with, with, uh, with my listeners and viewers of, of what's going on there? Yeah, so I first got involved in the space about a decade ago, and um, back then the you know the the talk was with Cash App and and some of the new technologies coming out that cash was only going to be around for another three years. Well, ten years later, we've got more cash in circulation uh, than there's ever been before. The use of cash is stronger than it's ever been. Um, and, and one of the things is, if you understand who your demographic of customer is, who your demographic is that you're serving, this starts to make a lot more sense. If you have enough of money to invest in, in, a, in ATMs, you're probably not a user. Um, we're serving unbanked, underbanked, EBT card carriers, uh, lower income immigrants, people sending their you know people sending their money back home. Uh, this is their this is these people's banks. And when you look at the you know what's the fastest growing or one of the fastest growing demo- demographics in the country, it's that group. And so this has been a very uh, viable investment asset class for us, and it continues to do very well. It's a very cash. Uh, cash flow strong, cash flow aggressive investment. It's also a very tax aggressive investment. You can take this investment and you can invest in, let's let's say, in a unit of ATMs this year and get 100% bonus depreciation this year, meaning you get a dollar for dollar, you can write off that whole investment in year one. Uh, the other thing that, that uh, MC, we haven't even discussed, I don't believe, is for the first time, we now have available to some leverage in the ATM space. So think about this, even at a 50% leverage, now, now if you can do 100% bonus depreciation on a unit of ATMs, what happens when you do a you know, 50% LTV? Uh, now you've got 200% bonus depreciation in year one, um, not even considering the extra cash flow that you can make. So. You know, obviously, you, you, you've got to qualify. There's a three-unit minimum or a $312,000 minimum investment, but you really only got to fund half of that if you're using a leverage. So just really has been a really uh, fun asset class for us. When, when I first got started in the space, it was sort of, sort of a family and friends fund, and that sort of grew a little bit. And then uh, we really scaled the business. I was able to get in there and really help scale the company. And today we're one of the top five ATM ATM operators in the country. Yeah, it's a very, very unique and interesting asset class. As you mentioned, if you're listening to to us talk about this and you're watching us, 
you're probably not the prime uh, you know, demographic using ATMs. Um, there is a massively unbanked population, which you mentioned is just growing. So the use of cash, I mean, it's fascinating. I followed this too. And every single year I think, well, this is going to go down and the use of cash is going to start slowly going away every single year. And then every single year I look at it and I have conversations with Dave and every single year I look at it and there's just the, the, the uptick for cash <laughs> just goes, goes up again. Um, so essentially, you know, as we said earlier, from, from a strategy perspective, you know, coming in there from a tax side and then with the leverage play, great. And then also, you know, a, a cash flow. So this is essentially, and again, most people should know, you know, from an investment strategy, what do I have? Why do I have it? And what is this supposed to do for me within my overall strategy? There's different tools in your toolkit. So this is a great tax play and a great cash flow play, right? Yeah. So, I mean, just, just think about this. So if you've got passive income that's not covered and you're going to get taxed on it, this can be, this can be a tool that will wipe out the tax liability on, on that, on that uh, asset. If you sold um, if you sold an apartment building and you're you've got a couple hundred thousand dollars profit, you can you can make an ATM investment and wipe out the tax liability on that profit. So there's all kinds of different ways, and 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 that's beyond the the cash flow that you get from this asset class. I mean, you got strong double digit cash flow that you that you're getting from this on a monthly basis. So when you combine the the cash flow. And you combine that with the tax impact, you can get, you know, from let's just say you were to invest $104,000 into an ATM, into a unit of ATMs. That's one unit that gives you six ATM machines. And you take that, you take 100% bonus depreciation in year one, you add that to the first 12 months of cash flow, you're getting 65. You know, if you're a high taxpayer, you're getting 65 to 70 percent of your principal back in year in, in that first 12 months from the time your first uh, monthly check shows up. And so it's it, it's very aggressive, not only from a cash flow perspective, but when you combine the two, the cash flow with the tax impact, you're getting your back, you're, you're getting your money back very quickly. And then you've got another, you know, five, six years worth of cash flow behind that. Right. And this is, again, the, the two main drivers is the tax benefits and the cash flow. This isn't like a real estate investment where the machines are going to be sold at a massive profit five to a couple of years later. That's why you have a diversified cash flow portfolio with different, tool, different tools in there, which is the different vehicles. I also just want to share with folks this. When you think of ATMs and this, these funds that Dave are talking about, this is not these uh, very basic ATMs somewhere in a, you know, I, I was going to say smoky bar, but they don't smoke in most bars anymore. It's not one of those in the back somewhere right by the bathroom, right? The men's in the ladies' room. Um, these are actually, if you look at ATMs and the machines, these are like essentially like mini banks, um, you know, and it was fascinating because I started looking into this and then I started to you know, just go, go into a bank, which is kind of funny that I still had to do that. But I did a couple of years ago, actually physically go in and I looked at the ATM was in there. And I, and I looked at all these things that this ATM can do. And I'm like, 
Why do I need to go into the bank? I could get everything here. I could make my, my deposits, my withdrawals, checks. I mean, there was almost nothing that that ATM couldn't do. It's like literally this mini bank there. And then it was also fascinating when I looked at, you know, I started looking at the machine and there was another name and I, you would probably know uh, the, the company that owns that machine. So I went in and I spoke with a banker because I had to sign some documents and I just made a conversation. But she was actually telling me at that stage that, you know, I said, oh, but the ATM, it's like, almost like a mini bank and just make a conversation with her. And she's like, yeah, we don't own that. Um, we lease that essentially from a different company. And then I'm like, this is interesting. And then she goes, um, that seems like a good business is what she said. Because she's like, because you even pay marketing to that company, because to get your Bank of America or your Chase or your pick your bank, PNC Wells on those machines, they pay for that. That's marketing, right? That they're paying these companies for and these mini banks. And the other thing that, that she had sh said too is, yeah, we might even sh shut down some branches and just have these ATMs replace a fully functioned branch because of all of the things that that little mini bank, which is an ATM, can essentially do. So I just wanted to insert that too to give folks some just perspective and 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 context because, like I said, this isn't the little ATM in the back of a formerly smoking bar by the men's and the ladies' room. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, MC, because that's what it is. It, it is a mini bank or a mobile bank. Um, and, and, you know, many people think that banks own ATMs because, you know, Citibank pays us to put a wrap on our ATM machines. And, and so, you know, the perception is, oh, okay, well, Citibank owns that machine. No, not at all. And even the bank inside that branch is not owned by the bank. You know, that, right. that's owned by by either us or somebody like us. And so, you know, in, in, in regards to your and even even the free ATM in your local bank is not free. What they're doing is they're picking up the tab for you. So they're, they're still paying us to have that machine in there. And every time somebody swipes their swipe their card and there's a transaction, we get paid. But it's just not the consumer paying that's the bank picking up the tab for that. And one of the things that's that's important too is to know about this business. It's kind of broken down into two segments. It's it's the mom and pop operator, and then it's the institutional operator. Mom and pop operators, they run around, it's it's a it's a very active business. It's not scalable. You know, they, they can get up to maybe 150 ATM machines in a 50-mile radius. They're running around doing all the work, supplying the cash, putting the cash in, making making sure the ATM maintained can be a very lucrative business. But it's, it's you know, very hands-on. It's not very scalable. It's usually owner-operated. Uh, the, other, the other sort of side of the spectrum is the institutional operator, like a Cardtronics. And, and they've got, you know, Brinks and Loomis delivering their cash. they got fully audited service providers, you know, maintaining, you know, there's cameras everywhere. They're fully audited. And what we've done is we, we play in the institutional space. We take down large institutional, you know, port, institutional grade portfolios. And then we bring it back down to main street to investors. Instead of getting a private equity firm or wall street to fund that purchase, we bring it down and we chop it up in bite-sized pieces. And our investors, you know, take that portfolio and, and, and get the um, advantage to owning a piece of a 
as an institutional grade asset, probably the only way they're going to get access to an institutional grade asset is through a company like ours. And we're the only company in the country that I know of that that operates on that business model. Yeah. And this ties in, um, you know, back to this mini bank that I call these ATMs. You know, when you think uh, from a risk perspective too and risk management, and maybe you can speak to this too, but one of the thoughts that I had, well, in an increasingly digital world where things become digital, and again, I have to put my mindset aside because there's a massively unbanked uh, part of the population and that's who it's, who it's for. But in a digital world where folks would say, well, money's going more digital and it's going you know, this direction. Yeah, it's going so digital that the, ba- the, the ATM is now replacing the bank. So even though things might be more electronically, it, you know, there would still be a need for ATMs because you might not take cash out of it, but how do you deposit things? Or, you know, how do you, you know, other services that it has too. Maybe um, you can speak to some of the, you know, some of the rest too. Um, but that's one of the thoughts that I had too when I started, well, when I had that conversation too, I'm like, yeah, it's getting more digital, but it looks like this is just going to keep replacing more and more bank branches, right? Yeah, and, and there's, and and every, you know, the, the technology that's in this, in the ATM machines today is far above and beyond what I believe the, the original creators of the ATM ever intended it to be. Like it was, it was intended to be, you know, a machine where you get cash out of the machine. Yep. Well, there are so many different things that, that ATMs are used for today, including some of the things you, you mentioned uh, check cashing, sending money uh, across the borders. Um, think about this if you're an immigrant, and you know we've seen what's happened at the borders just in the last year. You're an immigrant, you're working here, and you want to send money back to your family. You don't have to do the whole Western Union model where you've got to give them 10% of your check to to be able to send money back to your family. Now you can do it for you know three bucks in an ATM machine. So the different uses, and and those are increasing, by the way. I mean, there's lot, there's a lot of our machines are crypto compatible. You know, where you yep. can, you know, trade cash for cryptos or something like that. So there's there's all kinds of different ways. And that list keeps getting larger, keeps growing about the the, the types of things and the technologies that, that are available in these ATM machines. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, what are some of the other things that, that you're seeing right now in the economy? Um, maybe if you want to talk about some of the things that you're excited, excited about, too. Um, along with some of the things that you're seeing out there, what 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 is Dave Zook up to these days, and what what is he seeing? One of the things that we're uh, that we've been doing is uh, we're we're building car washes. We're building a a line of car washes. I don't know if you're familiar with Tommy's Express. Yep, I saw Tommy's that. Express, Tommy's Express car washes. We're we're uh, we actually just a- acquired a stabilized Tommy's Express car wash. It was one of the top five um, Tommy stores in the country. We just acquired it in San Antonio. Um, we're getting ready to build a, a bunch of Tommy's Express car washes. So we're very excited about that and where we're going with it. It's a great product. We got a great operator team. We got some, you know, we got 15 or 18 uh Prime pieces of real estate. I mean, one of the things one of the things that I've found is 
when you start with a great product and then you overlay it with a great operator team and then you put that in the right location, I mean, your, your chances of success just go up dramatically. So that's what, that's what we have here. And it's just uh, been a lot of fun seeing the team go to work on this. And so over the next uh, three to five years, we expect to build 50 of them. And um, so we're, we're meaning to hit that in a big way, but it's, uh, that's got us busy and excited these days. Um, one of the other asset classes that we haven't talked about, natural gas. Yeah. Um, I started building my position in natural gas in two, I think it was 2018. And, you know, back then we were dipping into, you know, spot prices less than a dollar. Nobody makes money at gas at less than a dollar. But I, I was building my position because I had a conviction. I saw what was going on in the marketplace. I saw, you know, many, many of us, you know, many people younger than us might not remember a time when it was illegal for the U.S. government to export natural gas. Well, it is legal now. And they're, sp- and they're spending billions of dollars to transform, you know, to, 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 to take the uh, terminals and ports and turning them in from a from an import facility to an export facility. In fact, I was just on with the team this morning and based on what's all going on in the world with Russia and Ukraine and the United States and Europe and, and all that, Europe wants to get less dependent on Russian uh, fuels. So we're, we're the, the goal is for the U.S. government from between now and the end of the year to go from 13 billion cubic feet a day of exports in the, in LNG to go to 20 billion. That's, I mean, that's, that's like a, a 50% increase in, in exports. So I saw this happening back in 2008 and made several different investments in the natural gas space from real estate to, to actually building up my actual position in, in, in gas, even when the numbers didn't support it. Like the numbers didn't support it back then, but I was investing based on my conviction and based on, on what I saw going on in the market. Today, we're selling gas up in the $5 range. And, you know, I can tell you, um, well, I don't know, MC, would you get excited about a 5% return on investment? <laughs> how, how, about, how about if that was monthly? A 5% per month, my, my gas check for last month was 5.4% for the month. Oh, wow. And, and so, you know, you look at some of those things and, you know, I was building my position based on my conviction, that conviction, you know, it's, it's nice to, to have, you know, to get one right every once in a while to get, to, to get one really right. And uh, so I'm very bullish natural gas. I love the team that we have. We've been doing business with them for almost four years now. And uh, last year, then the year, um, we put a fund together. We put a fund together in December and we're looking to put another fund together for 2022 uh, next month. So just been a lot of fun doing that, getting in front of that, seeing where it was going and jumping in front of it and, and kind of riding that wave. Awesome. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? You're looking at unattractive asset classes, positioning yourself, look, developing an investment hypothesis of how this will play in and uh, build, building a position. Great stuff. Dave, where can folks learn more about you? Where can they follow you? And where can they um, become part of your community and stay involved of all the things that many things that you're involved with? Yeah, so our invest, our website is therealassetinvestor.com. 
And if you send an email to info at therealassetinvestor.com, one of my team will respond to you and we'll, we'll get you on our mailing list and you'll be able to keep an eye on us and see some of these deals that come, that come out to our base. Yeah, no, fantastic stuff. And um, Dave has built an incredible investor community, which I'm honored to be a part of too. And one of the fun things too is the annual investor party that he has out uh, where, where he lives. And it's uh, it's a great community, great people. Um, it's If you want to meet like-minded folks that are on the same journey, trying to build amazing lives for their, themselves, their families, all their stakeholders and their businesses and all of the stakeholders and their investments. It's an incredible group um, that, that he's developed and built over there. Um, and I always have a lot of fun there. So appreciate, uh, appreciate you, my friend. And thank you so much for coming on the show again and sharing just your incredible wealth of knowledge. I always learn something from you and continue to learn. And um, I'm just excited that my, my audience uh, gets to learn alongside me on this one. Thanks for having me back on the show, MC. It was fun. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives. Situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.